Well, let's welcome tonight's speaker, Audrey. Hey. So funny, I always feel like I behave differently when I'm being recorded. <laughs> this will be fun. This will be fun. Um, yeah, so um, thanks for I, uh, um, another fellow who goes to this meeting, got me here tonight, asked me to speak. I'm really grateful. So I'm um, glad I'm here, glad I'm a member of OA, glad that I still belong and that I keep coming back and that it, um, it, that it gets better. Um, and so... Yeah, I'm just I'm just a really grateful OA member today, um, and yeah, I'll share a little bit about um, like what got me here, some of my stats and stuff, um, and then also kind of just get current about like what things look like today. Um, and uh, man, I just had a an epically huge day um, around work planning. I'll just like check in for a couple seconds, and. Um, in the workspace, all of my insecurities get up. Um, at the end of the day, it's just such a gift to allow to be like vulnerable with other people in this room um, or rooms like this. That I'm allowed to like talk about the mistakes that I made, the insecurities that I have, the fears that I have. All of those things that lead me to more compulsive bites. Like I have a safe space to talk about that today. And I'm feeling that stuff today too. And it just feels good to know like I can be here. I don't have to be perfect. I keep coming back. Like, I still have life that happens, you know? Like, I still have this, like, addiction that turns the dial up on everything in terms of sensitivity, right? And has me feel things. I truly believe addicts feel things at a greater depth than others um, and just need a little bit more TLC with getting through life on life's terms. So, um, and I'm having one of those days and I'm here and I'm so glad to be here. Um, so I'm just like everybody else, I guess, you know, like I am no, I'm no fanciness, right? Like I am just a run of the mill compulsive overeater. And, um, yeah, I just hope that, you know, what I share today is like, of course I'm going to have uniqueness in my story, but I hope that it's relevant to at least one person here and that my specific isms of this addiction might look very different from other people's in the room. Um, but I found that I relate most to the people who share, like, I, I relate most to the, like, thinking and the feelings and the behaviors that are, like, um, pre- what is that, predecessors or, like, like predicate my desire to eat compulsively. I really relate to that in other people, despite, like, what the physical story looks like on the outside. Um, so that's my, like, caveat preface before I jump into the nitty-gritty, right? My disclaimers, like, um, okay. Um, for me, like it was always food for food was like my first drug of choice. It was food. It was big. It was family. It was love. It was everything. And I was an obese kid, like from the moment that I could gain weight, that my body enabled me to right. Um, big kid, overweight kid got made fun of a lot, got bullied a lot for my size, but like, it was so normal in the, like my big freaking huge Italian family. Like it was just so normal to have epically long dinners, to indulge, to like get full weight and then eat some more. Like it was so normal all the time. And food was just everything to us. It was like community. It was this metaphor for who we were. Um, the more we spent on a meal, the more I loved you, like whatever, like all this decadence about I needed a metaphor for I love you or I needed a metaphor to celebrate, right? I needed something to accompany those feelings and food was always those things. When I first like reflected on my childhood, when I first came into OA, I was like, oh yeah, just Italian family, right? But my 
family was like very loving like I had my basic needs met like and then as I kind of woke up in a way and looked more and more at what was going on with me as a kid I got so surprised that I started seeing it P.S. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, present day, my whole family has either either is in OA or has at least been to one meeting. Like every single member of my immediate family. And so like, I think, thank God for this program and like that genetic thing might be real. Like, hmm, like that might, might be something to that. <laughs> so, um, but like, I look back on my childhood, so back to the story, look back on my childhood and I'm like, we were all camped out on the couch for so many hours of my growing up. We were camped out, eating food, blissed out, like, just unavailable, right? And, and I would go to my friend's house, and I would be like, you're buying one pizza for four people? I don't understand. Why? Like, at my house, we were buying, like, you, each person practically gets their own pizza. And then we have leftovers, and we have pizza for breakfast. It's like, blah, 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 right? Like, I would get so confused as to how other people would socialize as well. You go on hikes. You do what? You just talk to one another. You play games. Like, no. Like, we literally would, like eat food, watch TV, eat food, watch TV, eat food, watch TV. Like that was my whole childhood. Right. And, and I think that my parents were doing the best that they could. And I think I was doing the best that I could, but so much of my life was normalized by anesthetizing it and checking out, you know? And I think to this day, I envision like, um, self care. I can default, I can like get into that really quickly where I'm just like, zoned out on Netflix on my phone you know just like wanting to detach from the world like I can get there really quickly and I have to be mindful that like my addiction like can go look that's what isolation looks like for me right and it started at a very young age and it was normalized at a very young age okay so by the time I'm like 13 14 I am so sick of being made fun of for my weight I'm so sick of like whoever, Johnny the fuck whoever, like passing me a note and saying, Eric really likes you, you should ask him out. And then everybody just standing back and making fun of the fat girl. Like that's how I felt while I like approached Eric and said, do you like me? And then everyone devolving into laughter. How could you like that girl? How could you like the weirdo? Like these are the memories from my childhood or like kids like running around on the playground, like getting on one another's backs and the aim of the game, like with like piggyback ride and like do races with piggyback rides and the aim of the game was to see who could get to me first kick me in the butt and make it jiggle like that was the game and that's who I was and that's how I identified myself like I nobody knew in my like and I try I'm I'm trying not to get too like I'm a victim but like well I think kids are fucked up sometimes and they don't have the nicest like social skills like shit happens. I didn't know how to ask for help. And like, nobody knew what was going on until one day after like the 11th time that that happened, um, there's this huge bruise on my body and my mom goes, what the hell happened? Right. And she's, and then like, out comes this story. Like the kids were like picking on me. Like, and this was when I was 14. I had been with the same like group of kids forever. So my mom finds out and tells the principal, like, you know, like, this has got to stop. And I remember, like, this brief talk that my principal had with, like, these 30-odd kids that 
I was the brunt of their joke. And she comes in and like says it's not okay. And it's so funny because that was like the first time that I had heard that that wasn't okay. And maybe it was all right for me not to be treated like that. Because like I had internalized like, well, this is normal. This is just happens. I'm a fat girl. Like this is what fat girls go through. Like, you know, I don't have any other skills. I'm not allowed to ask for help. Like this is just what I'm going to get in life, right? Like that was my understanding as a kid, right? And I look at kids today and I just love the shit out of them. And I'm like, okay, guys, what are we doing? Like, and I work with kids too. And I'm just like, how you doing? Like, how's everybody treating you? You know, like I want to dig in. They're like, Audrey, you're a little intense, right? <laughs> Sometimes they, I, I've worked with kids for a while. But, you know, there's a lot of pain in that. There's a lot of sadness in that. And as an adult, I can have a lot of compassion for that time in my life and go, I didn't know any better. Like, I thought I deserved that. And my adult life, I can still feel that way sometimes, you know? Like, I can still equate this, like, old historic childhood pain to, you don't see me, I'm not allowed to ask for help, I'm just going to be the brunt of everybody's joke, right? Like, that's real, right? And, or it feels very real, and um, so, of course, I would retreat into food all the time, because I couldn't deal with people. Okay, 14 hits. I'm so sick of this. I'm so sick of this scenario. I am so sick of everything, right? And um, I get to change schools and start over, right? So instead of being like nice girl or girl that like is like very complicit with everyone and deals with the onslaught of like attention, I start thinking about other ways that I can survive emotionally, right? I don't think I would say it like that. I was like a 14-year-old, but as a 14-year-old, I was just like, fuck this shit, I'm going to be bad, right? I try to be good, I'm going to be bad. Like, I'm going to do whatever I can to be seen, to be noticed, and I tried to be nice for all those years, and I'm done, right? And so I went to this other, like, I oscillated over to this other extreme. So I think that addicts have these extremes, right? I hide, I run away, or I'm angry, and I explode, and I'm the center of attention, and I'm acting out. And I have both of those in me. Right, I have this like, um, and so for like many years of my adolescence, I was loud. I would do anything to be the center of attention. I would like make the goofiest jokes. I would, like oftentimes would put myself in situations to be laughed at, but I was still okay with that. Also, like if it was like in a comedic light, I threw myself at boys. I was just like. Maybe if someone will sleep with me, that means I'm enough. Like, if I have sexuality to barter with, then then my body's okay. Like, if someone will sleep with me, I'm okay, right? That means my body's all right, right? At least to one person in the world. But of course, lowering standards or being attention-seeking or whatever, I would pick these people who would just hook up and leave, hook up and leave, like, for my whole adolescent to young adult life. Um, And so it would reinvalidate I'm not enough, nobody likes, you know what I mean? Like all this weird stuff about like my, like my body's value, right? Because I was, I didn't know my body's value. I didn't know this beautiful worth that is at any size, like is a sacred space where spirit lives, right? Like I didn't know that. And I think that that's true. That like, this is a temple no matter where I'm at. And at any moment, like I can fall back in love with this temple that I live in, Right. But it's really hard to not see that when you're so stuck in your fear, your head, your insecurity of your whole life, right? And this messaging from the world that you want to believe or think you need to deal with. So anyway, um, 
by the time I was 19, I just like hit Skid Row with all the acting out. I mean, drugs, like you name it, like sleeping with boys. Like it was just like, it was like enough. And I just like nosedived into a lot of, had my first wake up call with like, you're not going to survive if you keep living like this. And this is no way that you're meant to live. I think that something in the universe, like I was still very spiritual, but something in the universe was like, it's, you deserve more than this kind of life. There's a different way to get through. There's like a different way to be in this world, right? Some, some people were in my life that saw that, but also like I was in a lot of like existential pain because I kept on trying to cover it up with all these behaviors. Anyway, rehab, 12-step, like first like exposure to that stuff at 19. Thank God it stuck. Like, thank God. But the moment I got clean and sober... My first addiction just fell right back in love with me. So I was at like a relatively, I was at like a 200 pound weight at that time, which was like, mm, like somewhere in the middle of like, I don't know what, I don't know what I would call that. It was 200 pounds and I'm 5'3". So it was a big, like it was a big body size. Um, I kind of like gone up and down a little bit through high school, um, just a little. Um, so anyway, um, in my first year of sobriety, I gained 70 pounds. So I went from 180 to about, what was that, 250. And in the second year of my sobriety, I gained another like 60 pounds. So I think by the time I was two years sober, I was like 310. Stopped weighing myself when I got there. And I got bigger, but like I kind of capped around there and just hung out for a while. And um, I couldn't in my head, deal with the feelings. Like, like I'm letting go of one behavior and I just switched addictions to the other because for me at the time, food and seeking out food and like that I need to survive, like I'm experiencing emotional vulnerability and I think food is safety, like kicked in so hardcore during those years. And, and I knew I was a compulsive overeater but, and I knew people who were in OA and I was just like, no freaking way. Like, no way. I have survived this whole... And I, I knew I could benefit from being here, but I wasn't touching it with a 10-foot pole. I was just like, are you kidding me? Like, no sugar, no flour. Like, letting go of food items, I would fucking die. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> right? Like, how are you dealing with life? Like, um, I couldn't... So... It just was like, it was just not even an option to me. And, you know, in that point in my life, I was also like, like eating pizzas to myself, like, like the whole pizza to myself, like in one, like there were like many times where I was just like, I wouldn't even say I was a binger. I would say like, I was just so exhaustively eating all the time that like, I was, it was like I was binging all the time, right? Like it wasn't like you stop binging like it was just like always excess um it was so intense so i decided that i had enough willingness to at least get my ass in the chair of an oa meeting and i knew everything i knew the 12 steps i knew what to do i already knew about amends you couldn't tell me anything and you had to pray and you had to meditate but like clearly i'm in like physical crisis with an addiction but i knew everything okay guys thanks Thanks for help. Like, I know what to do. I know how this works. You know, and I, I love the phrase, the credits don't transfer. Because I know, right? Like, I think I know credits don't transfer. Like, mm-mm. Um, so 
I got very like humbled because what happened is um, if I know everything, there's nothing to learn, right? Like there's no area for me to grow, right? Or if I'm not being honest with step one, then I'm in control and I don't need to surrender control. So anyway, so I, um, anyway, I put my butt in OA meetings because I knew people who would go and like, they gave me right, like it was just amazing, right? And I stuck around OA and I like didn't do anything essentially for a year. I just like put myself in meetings. And for anyone who like thinks like, I don't know if anybody, it's none of my business if anybody thinks this, but I thought like for a long time that if I wasn't on a food plan, actively working steps or whatever, that I would be shamed that I wasn't allowed to keep coming back. And like, that is not my experience. Keep coming back has saved my life. Like don't quit before the miracle happens has saved my life. Because at one moment when I was ready and I said, I know a person to call, I was able to call them because I had been sitting in that chair over and over and over again. And I was allowed to keep coming back. And nobody said, like, you need to be on the diet to be here, right? (laughs) It was more about, like, you're just a compulsive overeater. We love you. We love you till you can love yourself. Don't quit till the miracle happens. So I didn't, you know. And... And I was in Dayton, Ohio at the time, and I could, t- I mean, I could not have a more disparaging, like, like the minority population of, like, I was the minority population of OA in that area. Like, majority of people looked nothing like me, had stories in their lives that were nothing like mine, right? But when it came to the food, we were the same, right? We were totally, we were politically different. We were everything different. It didn't matter, Right. I needed to stop eating compulsively and like killing my body with food, right? And I didn't know how. And one day, somebody had the grace enough to say, I think that you actually can do this. And for me, I had this moment where I locked like eyes with this woman and I could see her life, like I could see me and her, that pain of saying, how could I possibly let go of these food items and survive even one day? And, um, and she was like, she just told me story after story after story of how it was exactly like her, right? And that she was, she was like a couple years into this thing and had lost more than 100 pounds. And I was, I, it was just totally baffling to me. that. So day one, she's on the phone with me, literally, like I am picking up everything that is going to be an abstinent item in the grocery store and putting it into my grocery cart. And then she goes, and then you go here and then you pick this. And I'm like, okay. She's like, don't go down that aisle. I'm like, okay. Like I literally was such a, a child in her hands. Like, please tell me what to do. Cause you give me like one thing and I'm going to snowball with a like food item that's addictive for me. And I have such little willingness, but I'm going on your tiny grain of hope right now. And, Maybe it'll work. I'm re- Your stupid experiment is pretty dumb, but I'm willing to, like, try it out and prove you wrong. Like, okay. So, um, but there was something in that that was, like, there was a sincere surrender in the moment. There was a sincere, I know this is crazy. So she, like, is on the phone with me in Meyer grocery store in Dayton, Ohio. I'm picking everything. I go back to my room. And um, she's, like, okay, tomorrow you start. Like, you have a food plan. It was, like, legit. It was weighed and measured. It was, like, very specific. It was, you call me every day. You do three outreach calls a day. You work a step every, like, you work on your steps every day for, like, and it was, like, 90 days. Like, it was just, like, you do this. You go to three meetings a week, you go, like, 
And that was a formula that worked for her. And I was like, okay, I can do it for one day. I can do it for tomorrow, right? Okay, we'll do it for tomorrow. Then we'll do the next day. Like, this is, this is all you have to do, right? So, and I remember so clear as day. Um, I heard that. Thank you. Um, I heard so clear as, like, I just remember clear as day. Like, it, I was 24, sitting on... No, I cooked my dinner and I went to my one room efficiency apartment, um, like in the thick of it with grad school, like cooked this plate of vegetables and protein and like made it and sat down and hated it. Like hated everything that was on the plate and hated that I had to like, I was like this fucking asparagus. Like I was just like, ah, like, like I can't, like it was this grieving. And I sat down on the floor in my living room with the plate in my lap and the asparagus in my hands and cried. Like I cried like I was losing a lover. Like I cried like I was losing a boyfriend or I couldn't imagine like I was breaking up with something that I knew was hurting me and that I loved at the same time. And I couldn't go back. And this was the official moment that I was saying yes to something different. And I, like, cried and ate the asparagus. asparagus. And you know what? Like, I didn't compulsively eat that day. Like, there was some amount of magic that happened, right? And I think that there's been so many moments like that. And um, I, I, like, lost a lot of weight. And then, like, had all of this relationship sexuality growth to do because I was at this, like, different body size that was getting attention. I learned what it was like to, like, be in partnership and also, like, learned when a partnership didn't work without compulsively eating. Like, went through a divorce, went through a lot of different stuff. I moved out here to have that very iconic geographic, go find yourself, right? I'm like nothing but a stereotype, like, (laughs) but I am here, right? And as I grow up and find myself, like, who am I as an independent person? Like, having a way to support me in that journey has been instrumental. Using the steps to grow up, like, getting out of that adolescent childhood fear and saying, how do I... How do I show up as an adult for myself without cookie or like hand in the cookie jar, right? And like me needing to imagine safety as this automatic reflex towards more, right? So a couple of things that I think are really important, like for today, like if you're specifics and you like specifics, like this is what I do just for today um, that helps me stay on the beam. I don't eat anything that I don't plan. I am not allowed to eat off my plan for the day, no matter what. Like, I make a plan and I stick to that. My bottom lines are I don't eat sugar, flour, um, and the, like, first four ingredients of anything, right? Honey, high fructose, corn syrup, cane, blah, 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 oats, fructose, whatever. Like, no sugar, no, none of those concentrated things in the first four ingredients. I also don't think, like, there's other things that I don't do um, that are not necessarily for other people, but right now, if it's helpful, like, I don't do juice, right? Like, I eat fruit instead. Um, That's a new one. Or, um, and I think the new one, too, is, like, I I don't switch my item in the middle of the day, even if it's an equivalency, unless I check with my sponsor, is, like, 
I want to go for that which is sexy sometimes sometimes in my head. And I think that sexy food is going to make me, like, have the thrill of a lifetime in that day. And, like, it doesn't. I always want more. I'm always perseverating on, like, the thing that I had a little bit of that I want a little bit more of. I don't do it, right? Um, no, no sugar-free stuff. Like, no sugar-free candy, no sugar-free ice cream. I was on a kick for that for a while. So these are all the lessons that I've learned in programs. Right? Like, it's not like I've arrived and now I know sugar-free ice cream doesn't work for me. No, like, I figured that out, like, this year. And I've been in programs since 2005. Right? So, like, keep coming back or you learn or, like, you keep on learning new things that kind of get you. And um, and I think that the biggest thing, um, just for today, um, that I do is I every morning I pray for the willingness and the ability to be abstinent today. Um, and then I ask like God to direct my thinking, ask where I could be of service. I sponsor, I am sponsored, I'm working on steps and I go to three meetings a week and that might sound like a lot for people, but that's just, um, it actually is a joy. I feel like I'm connected to program, um, that I have a support system that is a, a real gift, right? And that I don't have to compulsively overeat today. That's it. <laughs>